This episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you in part by DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. They've got everything you could be craving, and I invite our listeners to attempt as strange a food combination as they feel comfortable. Uh, not sure what that would look like exactly, so I look forward to your tweets on that. But the basic point is that with very little fuss, you can continue supporting your local favorites safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. And as I've said before, you could go local. You could go big chains if you're in the mood for a big chain but don't feel like being around a bunch of people. You can go that route, and it works. With that in mind, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter the code TSS. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code TSS. Don't forget, that's code TSS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thank you very much to DoorDash for sponsoring this episode. Now, on with the show. Everybody and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. I think we have picked up some new listeners in the last few weeks, so I just wanted to say hello to everyone who is new, and things can be two things to everyone who isn't. If you're new, that will make sense later. But also, if you're new, uh, I did want to say that I am normally joined by my co-host, Daryl Grove. He'll be back to normal recording sometime soon, but for now, I'm going to be continuing with having guests and guest hosts on the show. And today, we've got a TSS favorite. It's Meg Linehan. I will say, word of warning, the audio is a little Skypey for the first couple minutes, but then it smooths out pretty quickly. And with that disclaimer stated, I'll just say, with me now is Meg Linehan of The Athletic. Meg, thanks as always for joining me today. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing about as well as can be, you know, given the world we live in. How about yourself? I think, are you back in New York or are you still uh, out amongst the insects and the birds? No, we're, we're back in New York City. So if a car starts honking, that is very much New York City. I, the readjustment has been extremely fun, let me tell you. I imagine. I imagine it has been. Um, I'm assuming that it hasn't interrupted your ability to do full-time with Meg Linehan. Uh, I'm not sure we've talked much about your uh, career in podcasting. How has it been going, and are you still enjoying it? Uh, I mean, I do. I, so I have to talk to Lori Lindsay for this week's episode, and it was very amusing because the two of us like started talking, and at one point, I, I very much did forget, like, oh, yeah, this is actually like a podcast episode, not just like the two of us talking on the phone. <laughs> so has been it has been a learning experience but i i do enjoy it i do enjoy it it is uh definitely less terrifying than it was at the very beginning so that's always a plus yeah i think so are you going into them with like do you have lots of prepared stuff do you have questions and research or are you sort of more off the cuff uh i tend to not actually go into any interview with a huge amount of stuff i'm definitely more prepared for the podcast than i usually am in terms of like actual interviews but i very much have a style where like I might have a general direction of where I, I know I want to go, but I enjoy letting people steer the conversation just as much as me, really. Like, I just think that that tends to be a more interesting place. So I might have like five or six questions to start with, but then also I very much like to let people go where they want to go because mm -hmm. that's fundamentally, I think, generally where they're going to feel more comfortable mm -hmm. anyway. So they're super interested in, like, I just also enjoy enabling people to like, nerd out for a while so it's been it's been interesting though to see like impacts 
interviewing, I guess. How do you mean? Because it's so much longer, right? Mm -hmm. Like in terms of a podcast, I might be talking to someone. I mean, with Lori, I was on recording for like 45 minutes, right? Whereas I don't always want to do that for a written article because then also like you have to transcribe 45 minutes, right? (laughs) So generally I'm going like, okay, I want to get in and out. I want to be a little more efficient than than a podcast, right? In terms of, okay, I do have goals, but I also want to ensure that I'm not missing anything. I mean, usually when I interview someone for an article, my last question is almost always like, what have I missed? Like, what have I not even thought to ask you that you think I should know? Mm-hmm. Because there's almost always going to be something that I haven't thought to ask because this is something that's new to me or like I'm that person, right? Like I haven't had those experiences. So it has been kind of interesting just to see how like these two things kind of, because they are, I think, different approaches in terms of, you know, even just from like a time management point of view. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you are prepared to switch into uh, talking a lot mode because I do have lots of questions for you. I wanted to start with sort of a state of the league for NWSL. We're going to talk player departures uh, in a little bit because obviously that has dominated the news so much so that I feel like people might not even know that like play is back underway. So I wanted to ask you about how things have gone since the conclusion of the Challenge Cup and what have you made of the fall series so far? Yeah, I mean, uh, there was really some fun with the narrative uh, for a while in there that the NWSL was all of a sudden dead. Right. Um, and what was really funny is when I started, I don't want to say subtweeting, but like I, I clearly had some fun with it. And then all, a whole bunch of fans from Europe were like, Oh, these Americans, like they get threatened over nothing. And I was like, I'm actually like making fun of other Americans. So like, please calm down. Like not everything is actually about Europe, but thank you for playing. Um, I'm actually like, really going after a few people in particular, but okay. Like congratulations. Um, but it, it has been really interesting. And, you know, I wrote a column about this at the athletic. I'm always, I think a little more concerned about the NWSL itself rather than any external threat, because I have followed the league from day one. And I, I feel like the NWSL is, to some extent, still a league that is very good at (laughs) self-inflicting problems for itself. Um, And so my, my big concern, I think is still kind of like, did we really need the fall series? And I, I still don't really think the answer is yes. And I, I super understand why it happened, right? Like CBS walks up, calls up Lisa Baird and says, hello, we have open broadcast slots on Saturday afternoons because we don't have college football. Would you like them? And of course, the NWSL is going to say, yes, we would. (laughs) Thank you very much. That makes sense. I did not realize that that was how that went down. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing a bit, but like they... It basically is what happened is there's no college football for a while, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're only just now getting Big Ten back for better or worse, right? But, you know, there is some open real estate in CBS's sports broadcasting plan. And they say, well, Challenge Cup worked pretty well for us. If we give you our Saturday afternoon, like one of these Saturday afternoon slots, would you be able to put games on? And I mean, really, the timing is just a matter of from that call to fall series being announced. It's a matter of like two weeks. Right. And so here's where my concern comes in is challenge cup was this thing that got like really negotiated with the players association and, and the teams. And there was a lot of work that went into it and it was a bubble environment. And now you're doing this fall series, which is 18 games total. 
four games for each team. They're, they are in regional pods, which is good, right? Like it does minimize travel, but you are still outside of a bubble environment. There is additional risk. Um, you know, players are, are opting out. There are absolutely some players who have opted out, which I think makes complete sense because it's, it's a completely different question of them than challenge cup was. So, you know, I, I just kind of wonder like the, the competition is also so much greater now than it was during challenge cup. You have like every major sporting league happening at the same time, all of a sudden, and so many of them are also in playoff mode, right? Like NHL, NBA, WNBA are all in playoffs. So like you're not in this kind of wide open spot that you were coming back first for Challenge Cup. So it is kind of, for me, like those are the questions I'm trying to grapple with more than this like existential threat that the Women's Super League has suddenly appeared out of thin air, right? Like, oh, all of these questions of like, what's the best league in the world? Because I also personally find that to be like not a productive conversation. Like, I don't think that being the best league in the world is necessarily like a thing that we need to be concerned about ever. It's does it work in the country? Are you attracting and retaining talent? You know, like there are a lot of questions that I think are kind of pass fail. Right. And that's the question for me more than like, Who's better, NWSL or WSL? They can both be good, which I think is fundamentally a good thing. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And to some extent, that feels like the the lazy analyst way of getting to talk about women's soccer. It's like, is it still the best league in the world? Let's debate by talking in generalities. Yeah, there's no real, in my mind, there's no real best. So I'm not so concerned about, is it going to be the best league in the world? I guess what I would say is I do have concern that maybe, to your earlier point of NWSL sort of self-inflicting problems, is that a little bit what they're doing here? And does that then explain some of the departures, at least? Are there players who are looking at this and thinking, you don't really have my best interest in mind. I don't really know about the situation. I don't trust some of the cities we're going to be playing in. So I'm going to go over to Europe where I'm going to get more money, potentially, and maybe be in a little bit safer environment. Do you think that is sort of factoring into some of these players' decisions? I mean, I think it's, first of all, COVID-19, right? Like, yeah. has to factor in. Like, And also, we're looking at four games here, and everything is going to be done by October 17th. Or you're looking at other leagues, and not just WSL, right? Like, players are going to other leagues as well, right. where games are going to continue past October 17th. And for a lot of, the, you know, like, an Alex Morgan, right? Like, that's obviously the biggest name that is now in play. If you're trying to make an Olympic roster... <laughs> four games and then an individual training environment might not be right for her. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in every single discussion I've had with, you know, like someone, Becca Rue was on full time with me. Right. And she's just like, players are making individual decisions about what's right for them. So some of them maybe aren't comfortable with some of the protocols that are happening. And I think that's completely valid. Some of them want a more, lengthy and uh training environment and more games to play in i think that's valid right like everyone is making a decision that is what they feel is the right one for them in a in a time where there is like no normal right and i think that's just kind of what it boils down to is that this is not necessarily any sort of reflection on the health of the nwsl or or, or what's you know the future of the nwsl like you know, one of the things that I wrote in the column was just if if we're not if the NWSL isn't 
getting players back over the next three transfer windows, then there's a problem, right? But right at the moment, it's not like you're going to be bringing players into the United States to play soccer. It's just not, it's not really doable. And I think (laughs) that's okay. And also if I could go to England to, to like live for a few months and like kind of ride this out, you know, I get the appeal. From what you have seen, like of, of the facilities here, and I don't know how much you've seen of the facilities in England, how much nicer do you think the training environment would be playing in England? Because I have heard that being part of it is that if you're going to Chelsea, Crystal Dunn, I think, talked about that when she first went to Chelsea, that right. to go there and suddenly you have this massive training facility and dedicated fields, it is a little bit of a transition, a little bit of a change. Yeah, and I think there's absolutely an appeal. I mean, you think about the other thing that WSL has in some of these leagues in Europe, the free agency right. is a thing, right? And and that is not a thing that the NWSL has. Like, there are absolutely appealing factors for these leagues that the NWSL can't compete with. And I think that's where, you know, there's now the ask of NWSL is, how do you not necessarily, you just have to kind of balance these things out, right? And how do you improve training facilities? How do you improve, you know, even if there's not necessarily, I'm sure there's not a push for free agency, right, from the ownership group, but there is probably going to be a CBA negotiation coming up with the Players Association. And how do you work together to ensure that you are still are, are still an appealing place to play for players? That's the question now that the NWSL is facing because, yes, training facilities in Europe are going to be different. And also, I think that there is an appeal to playing for a team like Chelsea, right, that has the men's team and it's this more integrated thing. And there is a bigger brand at play and you have the appeal of being side by side with a Premier League team, right? Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the case for a Chicago Red Stars, right? That's an independent team. But does can the Red Stars provide something that is unique to NWSL that might not be the same as a training environment like Chelsea, but has an appeal for an American player that wants to potentially be on the women's national team? Like that's the question that I think NWSL is starting to figure out. Like it has to ask itself, how do I, how do we not necessarily keep up, but how do we provide something that is unique that only we can provide? I want to get to NWSL's response and what they need to do in a second. I wanted to follow up on one thing. You mentioned the Olympic Olympics earlier and what that mm-hmm. might do for like some American players, I'm sure other players as well. What about the Euros? Do you think that will have an impact, the Euros being pushed yeah. back on some European players wanting to move? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely going to play a factor in players wanting to to stay over, right? Like, I mean, that was one of the big reasons why a player like Jess Fishlock is heading over on loan right to WSL because she wants to be around for qualifiers. So I think it's definitely going to be a factor in terms of keeping some European talent in Europe, right? It's just, there's such a busy international calendar over the next few summers because you have pushback Olympics in theory, right? Assuming they happen. And then you have Euros and then you have 2023 World Cup, 2024 Olympics. So we've got a whole bunch of summers stacked up that are, it's going to impact player movement, whether we like it or not. And then the question is, you know, how do you, I guess, minimize some of the the call and responsibility of national team players while still trying to get them into their domestic leagues. And that's not just an NWSL problem either, but NWSL has the joy of being on a summer schedule. Much more still to come from Meg, but first here's Sam Stachko with an important message about his coffee consumption. 
Hi everyone, I'm Sam Stasekel from The Athletic. I don't know about you, but I never ever forget my morning cup of coffee. I need that to get going, to start each and every day. It's great, gets me kick-started, gets my day off on the right foot. Unfortunately, I often forget to follow up that morning coffee with a nice glass of water. And I often find myself feeling a little bit dehydrated throughout the day and playing a little bit of a game of catch-up when it comes to hydration. I'm not alone there. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. That's changing for me because I've started using Liquid IV. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water on your own. It's a little 16th ounce packet. Tastes great. Different flavors. You just pour it into a glass of water. Boom. Gets you hydrated real quick. I've enjoyed it. I've been using it for a while now. It definitely helps if I've had a few drinks the night before. Have one of those before I go to sleep. Wake up feeling fresh as a daisy, ready to go the next morning. I'm enjoying Liquid IV. I think you'll enjoy it too. It's available nationwide at Costco and Target. You can actually get 25% off if you buy online when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. So then with NWSL, if uh, the COVID situation maybe calms down, maybe gets a little bit better in the United States, you mentioned over the next few transfer windows, maybe we see some players coming back. If they don't, Mm -hmm. that's where you have concern. In that time period, what are some things you think NWSL does need to do from a like broader perspective or as, as detailed and specific as you like to make it a more appealing league to make sure that those players are still enticed to come back and do still want to play there? Yeah, I mean, I think this is not necessarily an NWSL the league thing, but I think it's very, very key for a CBA to get put in place for the players. That like is that's, fair. I think, I think that's, that's step number one is to get some more power in the hands of the players right at the moment. And to have, like, I mean, free agency is key for this league. If it wants to grow and succeed and keep up with Europe, like it's just kind of, that's, that's step number one, right. Is actually, you know, when I talked to Lisa Baird, I don't know, a couple months ago at this point for the podcast, like roster rules that are going to be changed. Like they have like a three-year project, essentially, that they need to figure out. I think one of the key things for the NWSL in general is having some sort of plan that they can show players and say, this is what the next three years of your life would look like if you stayed within the NWSL, right? Here's where we're going from a roster rules point of view. Here's where we're going from a calendar point of view. Here's where we're going from a training facilities point of view, right? Like having this consistent sort of plan And then not to mention expansion, right? Like we've got two expansion drafts coming up in back-to-back years. So having that sort of like one guiding document that they can look at and say, okay, I see what my life would look like if I had to balance my national team responsibilities with an NWSL career. And here it is laid out for me. I think having that sort of plan for players to buy into, like that's that's such an easy, like it's not necessarily easy work, but it's such an easy first step to make it more appealing. Yeah. Because having that level of certainty is so helpful. 
And flipping it around, like what will be the warning signs for you that things aren't improving or that the league isn't really adapting? Because I, I always have that fear that they're going to try to like limit player movement or intervene and sort of like make it dependent, like like uh, NWCL appearances dependent on like national team appearances or something like that. So is that a fear? Is that a fear you have? Or am I just being a little bit paranoid? I mean, I think it's really, and I think Steph Young was, was someone that tweeted about this, like, we've just lived in this sort of like existential terror around women's soccer for so long that we like instantly start mm-hmm. leaping to catastrophe. Yeah. Right. And I, I think it's extremely valid, but I also think that the NWSL has put itself in a much stronger position, right? Like there is actually like now a person who has been enabled to be a leader the league right that's that's step number one step number two was sponsorships and then expansion right there's more commercial interests so i mean for me the the stuff that i'm concerned about like yes self-inflicted injuries aside it's it's more stuff like what are what are the things that where as women's soccer gets opened up right and as more sponsors come in and and potentially more expansion teams come in right like the la group is a good win i think in terms of a diverse ownership group but then obviously you've got this utah situation still hanging out right like what are we going to tolerate within this space in order for women's soccer to grow and thrive and those are sort of the bigger picture questions where i just get a little more concerned. I don't know if there's necessarily like specific signs that I'm, I'm concerned Mm -hmm. by, but like generally I have been very optimistic about the future of the league. And I think expansion is a huge part of that, but also new sponsorships are a huge part of that. Like player movement concerns me less. There is a lot of talent still in this country and like, we might not necessarily have, you know, like, should we be worried about bringing up Pernell Harder in? Maybe, but I don't know. I just fundamentally think that the NWSL is on like such a different wavelength than the WSL. Like the two in America, women's soccer is expected to like make money, right? For better or worse. I don't think that that's necessary. Like the expectation is it's just going to like be this functioning thing without 30 years to grow, right? And WSL, it's really this kind of extension of the platform of the Premier League teams, mm-hmm. for the most part. And so we're coming at it from two very different points of view. And so for the NWSL in particular, because it has this economic expectation of it, I think generally that frames my expectations around the economics of it. And from that point of view, the NWSL is in a much stronger position than it generally has been its entire lifespan so far. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, talking me off the ledge a little bit, so thank you for that. The dual tracks definitely definitely resonates. Uh, but we do have Alex Morgan going from one of those tracks to the other. Uh, she's gone to Tottenham mm-hmm. on loan. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by that because I, I was thinking maybe it would be a more like like big three-style team. Uh, we'll talk about them in a sec. Uh, but then I was reading, I think uh, via your reporting, that she joins up with Pride teammates Shalina Zadorsky and Alana Kennedy. Do you think that we'll see similar sort of connections between uh, WSL clubs and NWSL clubs of maybe like Orlando has the Tottenham connection? Um, do we do you think that kind of resonates with other teams as well, like, say, the Chicago Red Stars? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's just kind of like a weird fluky thing, especially for for 
um, Alex Morgan to Spurs just because Alex has her own like distinct category from uh, Shalina Zadorsky or Alana Kennedy who have like actual NWSL contracts versus a U.S. women's soccer contract. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably didn't hurt. And also there is a prior connection between Mark Skinner and and Spurs. So I think that there's probably like some level of factor there, but I also, it's not quite like the player movement that we've seen between NWSL and the W league in Australia, right? Mm -hmm. Where you just get like the (laughs) clear, like all of the rain going to Melbourne or, you know, like whatever that, like, before yeah. we've seen like these clear movements of of players back and forth in the way that they they like to link up and be teammates with each other in Australia. I don't know if we're quite at that level with WSL yet, but I do think that there is I think some appeal, you know, the way that Manchester City went after Mewis and Lavelle, right? Like two different NWSL teams, but there is definitely a, an appeal to having two Americans or, or more, or, you know, like two NWSL players coming over together because then you also get to import that connection. So I think that that's always a bonus, right? Where you aren't bringing over one person who then has to like slot into an entire team, especially for like with Mewis and Lavelle, they played in a midfield together for an extensive amount of time on the U S national team. So, right. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there's just like, it's a win-win, right? That you're bringing over a couple of players who also can then adapt to a new league together and a new team together, but you're also getting that pre-established connection. So, but it's not, it's not quite the level of W league yet. That's for sure. I do. I do sort of like the idea, not that you were proposing this, but I've now created a world in which we just have like migrations of players. Like it's just a cycle <laughs> of USA to Australia, Australia, Australia to England, England back to the USA. And we just have that rotation every year. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, tra- I'm travel. Sure also, they would they would like some naps in there as well. Oh yeah, yeah. good point. Right, that whole thing. Yeah. That whole thing. Yeah. Um, which uh, which then move have you sort of has you most excited? Uh, because there have been the, the big ones we've mentioned, and then there's also obviously uh, Tobin Heath, uh, Kristen Press. I believe have they both now officially joined Manchester United? I they're through quarantine. Okay. I believe. Uh, um, they have not actually played yet. Manchester United also had the fun news that came through on Wednesday of their captain. Um, coming down with COVID-19 and actually mm-hmm. having to like withdraw from England camp. So that should be, I'm not entirely clear on what the WSL's COVID protocols are yet. Like I can, I can keep track of NWSL's, but then adding a second league on is always really fun. Um, I mean, I think I'm actually really interested to see what press and Heath bring to Manchester United, just because they've had some really interesting games so far through their first two weeks of the season. Like they had this really nice, strong defensive performance. And then they, they had this like nice comeback victory five, two in week two. Um, and I think adding Tobin <laughs> Heath and Kristen press to that team, like, you know, there again, a bit, there is kind of like this big three in WSL. And so Manchester United is now this challenge. I think Everton is another team that very much wants to be a challenger to those big three teams. But Manchester United has made, you know, two kind of major signings and the fact that it is a full year deal for the two of them as well. Like they're making the longer play, I think. And that's that's definitely the team that I'm going to be most interested in in watching, kind of see how they integrate in and, and what they can bring. 
From what you have seen of them so far, do you think that these are sort of the big two they're going to bring in? Do you expect them to augment the squad with some other big names? Because like I was looking at their their team, and there's really only one other name I fully recognized in there. And aside from that, like uh, Katie Zellum, the captain, I think you were talking mm-hmm. about. Like yep. I, I had to read about her. I'm not really familiar with her at all. And and I guess that was a little bit surprising. Given that I know Manchester United has tried, I think, to grow it a bit more. I mean, they were only in the second division, what, like two seasons ago or something? So it's not like they're quite on that level. But I'm wondering if you think they have those kind of aspirations to bring in more big names uh, than they already have. I mean, maybe. I think that, you know, they also also signed, um, and I'm, of course, blanking on her name, but the kid from UNC who who left early in order to go sign and just made her debut and had an assist, like on the last goal of the game. So like they're, they're adding pieces. I think that make sense for them. Okay. And I mean, I think that they're one of these teams also that is a good cohesive team for the most part, right? Like sometimes you don't always, and this is what might actually be Manchester city's problem right at the moment is that they're adding all of these big name pieces and they haven't figured out quite what to do with them yet, right? Like Manchester City has added Mewis and Lavelle, but also bringing back Lucy Bronze, Alex Greenwood, um, signing Chloe Kelly, right? Like they also have a new head coach who's coming over from the, like the boys development side. So Manchester City is kind of like this mess of parts right at the moment. Whereas I think Manchester United has been a little bit choosier in terms of Casey Stoney being like, ah, yes, this piece would help us. I'm going to add this piece. Wait, so you're Rather saying than just going, I'm going to go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. I'm just shocked that somebody associated with Manchester United is doing coherent things. I'm, I'm sort of at a loss here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my read of it. And granted, like, obviously I, I am coming at this from a, from a point of view where like, I've clearly paid attention before, but not to the level that I am now paying attention, but based on, what I have watched over the past few months, like it really does seem like there is a plan to adjust slowly when it comes to Manchester United, rather than kind of, you know, grabbing all the pieces that you possibly can and then hoping that it works out. Like, I just, I feel like we've seen that with Portland Thorn sometimes where they go, I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, let's grab all these pieces. And then it doesn't always turn into this cohesive end product. <laughs> that's yeah it's a very like maybe it'll work out and maybe it definitely will not it's always interesting to see which way that one goes if right. you meg were then all right let's so let's talk about those big three if you have arsenal man city and chelsea who have more or less have dominated the league since 2015 or so if you were going to sign for one of those which one would you sort okay. of most enjoy playing for from what you've seen or from the players that they do have there who would you want to be playing alongside yeah um I mean, what's fun also is I feel like I have like weird random prejudices against certain teams too, for no real reason, because like, I don't really pay attention to Premier League. Like I am the world's most casual Liverpool supporter. Right. And so, but then it turned into this thing of like, okay, well, I guess I hate Man City and I guess I hate Chelsea. I have like a weird soft spot for Arsenal. I don't know. I think because of the suffering, Mm -hmm. right? Like that. (laughs) Yeah. On the men's side, at least, like not the women's side, but like I I do enjoy a good suffering team. And one of my best friends is an Arsenal supporter. So, like, I guess I would probably lean Arsenal. Also, Kim Little, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I did just absolutely order a Kim Little Arsenal jersey. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I guess I do have to default to Arsenal, but it is 
the nice thing about kind of being impartial, right. And not really having like with NWSL, the way even starting covering, like it was always Boston breakers first, right. In my, in my heart of hearts. Um, and then trying to like, ah, uh, yes, learn objectivity. And then after working for NWSL, like they're also all my messy children, right? Like that is generally how I feel about every single team in the NWSL. But for WSL, I don't really have any of these allegiances or whatever. So for me, it's actually very interesting to be like, not necessarily dispassionate, but like a little more objective than I would usually be and just being like, oh, this thing about this team interests me. And that's a new experience for me that I am actually enjoying in, in its own way. It also sounds like it's it's maybe a little bit of a new experience to have to pay attention to more leagues, more players, which maybe is a maybe this is a silly question, but like does the expansion of women's soccer, like other leagues developing, getting stronger, new teams coming in and and just sort of competing for resources, competing for players, does it make your job harder? Cuz oh, yeah. for the longest time you could just focus on the United States because that's where most of the players were. Now as it spreads, do you have to pay attention to a lot more and how much more difficult is that? I mean, it's not even that it wasn't a matter of like not wanting to, right? It's that literally the NWSL could take up my entire bandwidth as is, right? And there are only so many hours in the day. And also the challenge of my job too is that I am one human responsible for covering the U.S. Women's National Team, NWSL, and maybe some other stuff. Then also adding in the the gig that I now have with Relevant, right, for the ICC Digital Show, which does have a European component to it. So having to do the crash course in a much more in-depth way, like it absolutely makes the job harder, but also, I mean, I feel like there's always been that expectation on the men's side to have this kind of passing knowledge of a whole bunch of different leagues. But there is, I think, also a benefit to being a specialist and and having kind of like the in-depth knowledge of one league in particular, because also... Like I've never been a person who has been expected to follow WPSL, right? Or NCAA women's soccer either. I don't do a lot of that coverage either. So it's just a matter of would I rather be really good <laughs> at the one or two things that I got hired to do or would I rather be maybe not quite as in tune but have a much wider following, that I'm expected to, to be on. So it's just, it's trying to figure out where that balance is. Um, and also just like how many hours do I have in a day? One more interruption for me this time to throw it over to the sweet, sweet sounds of Mr. Paul Tenorio. Hi, this is Paul Tenorio from the athletic. When I buy dress shirts off the rack, I tend to end up with shirts that drape off my broader shoulders and look boxy on me. Just the other day on vacation, we took a family photo, and the shirt I wore just looked way too big and wide. It was amazing how much better the photo looked when I switched into my new Indochino shirt. My wife and I had taken my measurements at home on Indochino.com and sent them in, and my new shirt emphasizes my shoulders, but cuts in so much better across my chest and stomach. I looked and felt way more confident and stylish. With Indochino, you can get custom-fitted suits, coats, shirts, and casual wear at surprisingly affordable prices, and you can customize everything from the fabric to the lining and the lapel shape, even add a monogram. The best part, Indochino's suits start at just $299 with all customizations included, and it's super easy to order and get it shipped fast no matter where you live. So go visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America, or do what I did. 
book a virtual appointment, and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $399 or more when you enter code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Yeah, on that note, listeners, uh, we've reached the part of the interview where I've forgotten and then remembered how busy Meg is. So I don't want to take up that much more of your time. There is one more topic I wanted to get to, um, a bit more of a serious topic. I wanted to talk about the FAIR report for a moment. Uh, for people who have mm-hmm. not read it or heard about it, uh, can you say, can you explain what the FAIR report is? F-A-R-E for people who want to look it up. Uh, and what were some of the main takeaways from that report? Right. I mean, I think so the the main thing to know about the fair report. So it was written by uh, Brenda Elsie and, and Jermaine Scott. Um, and it really just looks at the diversity, both from a race and a gender perspective of American soccer and at across multiple levels. But what they really look at is U.S. soccer, MLS and NWSL. And the findings in general are not great ones, as you can imagine, because Soccer in this country has generally been built by and for white people um, and ones who are well off at that. So, you know, there's a lot of data in the report in terms of like looking at ownership groups and head coaches and and general managers and stuff like that. Right. Like how many women are involved and, and how many, you know, black head coaches are there in MLS? The numbers aren't good kind of across the board. Um, but then they also have some recommendations in terms of you know, how can American soccer in general um, become more anti-racist? How can it become more diverse? How can it actually like not just become more diverse, but actually like include people and enable people to then change the organizations themselves? So not all hope is lost, but there is there is quite a bit of work ahead, I think, for the two leagues and U.S. soccer in general. Do you get the sense that the people running those large organizations have either read the report or aware of the report or have the inclination to make some of those changes and put in that work? Yeah, I mean, I think so. There's always the the big challenge is, are there stakeholders on the inside who like truly care? Right. And I think that it's not necessarily a matter of I think everybody wants to do better. But are you getting pressured to actually do that work? And that's where I think the issue starts in of, you know, how do you build a Rooney rule, right? Rooney rule 2.0 or whatever it is that actually has consequences. And both leagues need something along these lines. I mean, like, I don't know how many times we're going to have the debate about the head coaches in NWSL because right at the moment it's eight dudes and one woman and everyone is, white or European, you know, like it's just kind of the same thing over and over again. And like, we're having the fight about why aren't there more women head coaches in the NWSL? And no one's even having the conversation of like, why aren't there more black women head coaches in the NWSL? Cause we've never even seen it beyond Brianna Scurry being an assistant coach for the Washington spirit at one point. Mm-hmm. And, and if people haven't seen the report or read it, I would, I would encourage them to do so. It's not fun reading necessarily, but it does a good job for me at least of connecting issues of like there haven't been black women coaches, but why is that the case? Well, if you look at the hiring practices, it tends to be sort of who's in the network, who's in the circle. So how do you expand that circle? And I felt like they were sort of 
points in there that maybe either had been connected, but at least not in my brain before, or just like other sort of situations that lead to a sort of failure across the board. And not saying it's easy, but I think understanding it as like steps in a cycle does help me then feel like there are actionable ways to go about it. Not really even a question there, just saying like, I think people should give it a read. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing, and and this is actually kind of a conversation I had with with Lori for this week's podcast, right? Is how do you minimize defensiveness, right? Like if you're reading that and you work for U.S. Soccer and you think that you you deeply care about this, right? I think it's really important to take a step back and realize like this is not a personal attack. This is data and suggestions, mm-hmm. right? And how do you how do you how do you get to a better place? Right. And, and one of the things that Lori and I talk about this week is like, you know, for so long, we've tried to like cradle and protect women's soccer because it's been this fragile thing. And we've, we've kind of like insulated it from criticisms. And how do we turn this, this nice thing that we all enjoy into something that actually everyone can enjoy and feel safe. Right. Um, beyond like middle-class white people, Right. Um, but I, I think that really one of the, the main takeaways for me is that there needs to be kind of this outside presence. Right. And it's not via any like personal failing of anyone who works at NWSL or MLS or U.S. soccer. Right. It is you have to have actual guidelines around you and you have to have goals to hit. And it's not that people are trying to take away power. It is how do you open up power to more people? And so the defensiveness is a big part, but I also think that actual outside, not necessarily a watchdog. I mean, one of the things that I compared it to in the article that I wrote about it is a consent decree because before my life as a women's soccer writer, I actually worked at a biotech. And so the FDA will will put consent decrees on companies that kind of essentially misbehave, right? Or doing something that they don't like them doing. And so FDA comes in and says, here's where we want you to be. And we're going to stick around and like actually make you write a whole bunch of reports and prove how you're doing this and like really ensure that you are doing the work so you get better and you're within compliance by the end of it. And I think having essentially that consent decree kind of approach to U.S. soccer, to the two leagues, to American soccer in general, because this is not just like an isolated problem. This is just kind of like the fundamental way that the entire system has been built will actually maybe yield results. And one of the big things that they open up the third report is like, or I think it was actually in the press release, you know, 2026 World Cup is coming up. Mm -hmm. And are we going to be watching the world game? In America in 2026, or are we going to be watching a game built by and for white men? Yeah. yeah. And th- that's been a question that's really stuck with me after after working on my article, but reading it as well. Like, who who is the game for in this country? So would you then, like, again, forgive me if this is like an inarticulate question. It is sort of my style. Um, but like, w- would you like to see those those like four white men who've been in charge? Do you want to see them like stay and and sort of acknowledge that yes things have not gone the way they should have we could have done better here and it is almost the like no no one's necessarily at fault but we've got to work work towards change and sort of work from it that way or in an ideal scenario would you rather see them sort of like step aside or other people come into new positions who can then augment change from within 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because obviously, so one of the new NWL owners, right, Alexis Ohanian, stepping aside from his position on the board so that way it gets opened up to a, an actual, like, person of color, right? Like, there are both mechanisms that you can use either keeping the the people in power that you have and trying to add new positions or you can actually have someone step away. And, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, and I think there's no, like, one-size-fits-all answer here for MLS or NWSL or U.S. soccer. But I think, you know, I, I just sat through the U.S. soccer board meeting, for instance, last weekend. And they had a whole bunch that of That must have been a really about, rip-roaring good time, I'm assuming. I What cracks me up is when people online are like, I wish they would stream these to the public. And I'm like, <laughs> if you watched one of these, you would not be saying that. It's a board right meeting. Now. Like, no. I don't... Yeah, it's just like it's a whole bunch of PowerPoint slides. Like, yes, there is some news, but also like this is I'm the filter. Like, you yeah. don't have to sit through an hour to get the U.S. Women's National Team camp dates for 2021. Like, that's what I'm here for. I've given up my Saturday for you. Like, come on, guys. So anyway, <laughs> but yeah, like a whole half of that board meeting was really about what they're doing for diversity and inclusion. And what's interesting is also knowing okay, like they have this whole panel that's now in place for U.S. soccer, but it's like they've put pretty much every single person of color that they have on that panel, right? And so I, do, I guess the question is, is just, you know, who are we expecting to do this work? Because white men also have to be part of the solution, right? Like them just miraculously going away is not going to solve the problem either. So I guess the question is, is, how do you get them to buy in to a system that is more equitable? And how do you get them to buy into a company that actually like resembles the, the diversity of players, right. Or, or hiring coaching staffs that actually resemble the diversity of players, right? Like white men have to be part of the solution too. So it's not just an answer to be like, ah, yes, if we magically like erase the white man, chief executive officer of U.S. soccer that solves the problem. It doesn't. Are there organizations you think that U.S. soccer or, or NWSL or whomever could look to MLS as well, could look to as like, like, okay, they're doing it the right way, or even teams that you think are kind of standing out as models for how to act, how to kind of like make sure that you do have diversity and a good balance of different ideas uh, going into the team? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I necessarily have the answer to it. I mean, I think one of the things that has been really big on the the conversation for NWSL is looking at the WNBA and the way that they have approached their season and kind of their entire, you know, focus on Breonna Taylor um, in the wobble and, and just the way that they have approached and they, not even just like, I don't, and, and the way that we talk about how teams use social justice, right. The fact that, everyone kind of defaults to this term social justice instead of saying like drawing attention to police brutality and the killing of black people by police. Right. Like I think looking at WNBA is a good first step, but also, you know, that league is run by a white woman too, who has like a very corporate background. So like that might not necessarily be like the best solution either, but there's probably, you know, like there's nonprofits who are really built for this. I'm sure that there are other groups like, I mean, even a group like FAIR, right? To have that report and have that kind of, you need people outside the system to still look at the system. 
And you need a whole bunch of different solutions from different directions, I think, to make real change. It's never like you absolutely need people on the inside who are invested and ready to get to work. It doesn't work without those people as well. And it doesn't work without people on the outside who are pushing just as hard. And it also doesn't work without people on the outside who are like at a far more radical position too. So that way you, you get pushed in a direction that you might not necessarily go. And again, like the thing that really concerns me is that there is just this initial leap to defensiveness and feeling like everything is an attack. And, you know, thinking about what, the ideals of U.S. soccer are, I think they're very noble, but how do you live up to them? And even just the fact that I'm saying, like, how do you live up to them? The implication is that they aren't right now. And that immediately turns into a defensive position then for U.S. soccer. I got to say, that was a hell of a rousing answer. If you banged your fist on the table a couple more times, <laughs> I, it would have been 100% rousing. It was my knee, but yeah. <laughs> oh, did you? I didn't even know you did. Yeah. Oh, so that counts then. Never mind. Fully, there was some sort of banging on a table or some sort of furniture. <laughs> it counts. much like a gesture while I talk first. <laughs> that, oh, but, uh, I had to get a like floating mic because I make so much noise when I record. And Daryl was just like, what are you doing? Are you hammering something? So, yes, I've, we've, I, I feel your pain. I also do not want to cause you pain by asking you more questions. Uh, I have many more, but they'll have to wait till next time. But for now, Meg, thank you so much for taking the time. And if people want to find out more from you, either from The Athletic or from your podcast or anything else, uh, how can they do so? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan. I'm obviously on The Athletic at Meg Linehan there. Um, I actually just quit Facebook. So I'm very excited about that for myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Twitter Twitter is generally the easiest place to find me, I would say. There we are. All right, well, Meg, Meg thank also, you so much. Oh, you know, f- full-time uh, full time with Meg Linehan is the pod. I'm still not really used to promoting that. So, But obviously, since we are technically on the same podcast network, it would make sense for me to do so. Yeah, why not? There you go. <laughs> uh, well, Meg, thank you very much uh, for taking all the time to answer all my questions. Thank you for having me, as always. 